Hello, welcome to the First Right Podcast, a weekly conservative news show brought to you by Restoration of America. I'm your host, Nick Jeebus with Restoration News, and this week we're very blessed to have with us Frank Pavone, who serves as the National Director at Priest for Life. Well, Father Frank and I go way back, so it's so awesome to have him on the show. Thank you for coming on. It's always great to talk with you. Oh, it's always great to be with you, Nick. Thanks for the opportunity. It's always great to talk faith and life and politics. And speaking of that, we have the March for Life coming up. Uh, We're in the midst of it. Tell me a little bit about how you got involved with that and why it's such an important event this year. Well, my involvement with that goes all the way back to my high school days. I went to the third annual March for Life in 1976. That's what really got me turned on to the pro-life movement. But every year it has been the uh, the central mobilizing event where the movement shows its strength. People come together from every part of the country and even from around the world. And we stand up for those that have no voice. We march uh, in, in the at the center of power in our political power in our country. We let our elected and appointed officials know that uh, the unborn deserve protection and that we're going to keep advocating for them. You know, the interesting thing is, uh, Nick, that those who originally organized the march, whom I whom I knew, many of them have passed on now, but uh, they thought that they'd only have to do it once. They weren't planning for a regular annual event. And uh, this was back in uh, back in 1974. This Roe v. Wade had come down in 73, of course. And uh, but the pro-life people are ready to just march and work and advocate for as long as it takes. And we know we've made tremendous progress. Uh, It's essential to keep coming together. Even though Roe v. Wade has been overturned, it's essential to keep coming together because the unborn are not fully protected yet. And this march is a symbol of our determination to bring that about. Does it feel different after Dobbs now that Roe v. Wade isn't a factor anymore? Is there a pro? Is there a con? How does it feel now that that's been handed down by the Supreme Oh, it feels very different, um, you know, because as I always say, uh, both sides uh, in the abortion debate are still trying to find their footing after Roe has been reversed. It's been such a monumental change, such a big shift, uh, because we've all been been used to it for 50 years, and it affects jurisprudence, it affects legislators and what they think they can accomplish. It affects just grassroots conversations about abortion, because you know people talk about the issue, and and somebody might come along and say, oh, but it's a constitutional right, you know, and now they they they, they can't even say that anymore because it's 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 it, the court has said it's not a constitutional right. So yeah, everything has changed. Um, So I think the feeling on both sides is we're still trying to get our footing. We have to help people understand what Dobbs actually did and did not say, did and did not do. Now, on the other hand, there are fundamentals of this debate that are always going to be the same. And we've got to wrestle with the questions, who is this baby in the womb? Uh, We've got to come to know the baby better. What does abortion do to this baby? What does abortion do to the mom, the dad, the whole family, and to society? On those fundamental points, the debate is the same. In fact, the reversal of Roe helps us to make those arguments uh, more clearly and to have a bigger impact because, again, the discussion is not short-circuited by some kind of assertion that, oh, there's a constitutional right to abortion, therefore we don't even have to worry about these other questions. Now, if you will, the debate is more is more wide open, uh, has the opportunity to be more robust, and that's one of the things we have to work for. 
You know, something that I found very interesting was that in Ohio, very ruby red state, Trump won it twice. They fought for the right to have a constitutional amendment to keep abortion. Does it surprise you at all that conservative parts of the country, now that states can decide on abortion, would still vote to enshrine something like that into law? You know, it's not surprising from the point of view of how well the other side lies. Uh, and, and see here, and this has been one of my key points during these during these days. The other side wants to bring forth abortion front and center. They think it can be a winning issue for them. But when they, as soon as they bring forth abortion, they don't want to talk about it. The vote in Ohio, people didn't think that they were voting for unrestricted abortion. I mean, a very, very small segment of the population in Ohio and across America wants unrestricted abortion. What the other side does is they fear monger, they make people think they're voting to 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 safeguard their their daughter's right to have emergency medical treatment for goodness sake or life-saving uh, treatment in the case of a complicated pregnancy. The other side does such a good job of obscuring the issue. My challenge to them is let's have an actual debate and vote on abortion itself. Let's talk about what it is. Let's show people what it is. That's where the real debate has to happen. And because uh, they have been sidestepping that, you know, they say the word abortion. They're thinking about women's rights, women's health, freedom of choice. We say the word. We're thinking about the dismemberment and decapitation of a baby. It's like maybe we all have to take a step back and say, America, let's have an honest debate about abortion. Let's first of all agree what we're talking about. Then I think we'll get to a solution much faster and we'll see that people in America want far less abortion, not more. So you've been doing this for many years. I've followed you, like I said, for many years and written about you and interviewed you. What's been your biggest challenge in this fight over the years? You know, the, the, I've gotten a lot of encouragement uh, in this whole uh, battle. The people are with us. Uh, people come forward when we lay out the issues. Uh, the biggest obstacle has been uh, those on, on uh, in the church who are supposed to be uh, encouraging uh, this kind of work, uh, but have in fact done the opposite. And, and there are those that get nervous when we talk about political things. As you mentioned, I've been, you know, heavily involved in the, in the whole politics of abortion. Some just don't want to deal with the issue because they don't know how to deal with criticism. There will be inevitably criticism brought against the, those who speak up against abortion. And unfortunately, the biggest obstacle has been church leaders who fall into that trap of fear cowardice uh, and, you know, the pretense that you can somehow be above the fray, you know, above the fray politically, above the cultural wars. You can't be above the fray, and especially when it comes to something as fundamental as life and death. You have got to be in the fray and you've got to be on the right side of it and you've got to fight courageously when we have to convince people on our own side of the issue that they've got to fight it courageously, you know, that often becomes the biggest uh, the biggest challenge. It's ironic to me because you know, you're a Catholic, I'm a Catholic, many Catholics around the United States are also many Christians, and yet some priests and preachers aren't just not pro-life, they are pro-abortion. They will talk about it from the pulpit, talk about it on the altar. What can the church do, or maybe those preachers, pastors, and priests within the church and Christian faith, how can they push back and how can they get the message out that life is, is sacred? 
Well, I've written an entire book called Proclaiming the Message of Life, in which we we do two things. We look at what the obstacles are in the minds and hearts of some of these clergy, some of the fears, the common fears or misconceptions. But then we take all the different readings that are proclaimed on the different Sundays of the year in all the churches throughout the world, the Catholic churches, and actually many of our Christian uh, 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 brothers and sisters in other denominations, and we show the uh, priest or the pastor, how to preach on this issue from those readings. So very often it's, it's, it's uh, you know, the, providing simple tools like that will, will give confidence to a, to a preacher. That's what we need to keep doing. We have the message, it's in the word of God. We just have to continue speaking it. Like St. Paul says, in season and out of season, whether convenient or inconvenient, welcome or unwelcome, that's the game plan. We just keep on speaking because those who are cowardly, they're not going to speak or they'll speak an opposite message. But the truth is more powerful than uh, than falsehood and, uh, and the light is more powerful than the darkness. So the solution is, and we don't even have to pay attention uh, to these these naysayers. We just have to continue even more vehemently than they are doing, proclaiming uh, the message of truth. I'd like to talk just really quickly a little bit about Pope Francis. Now, I've noticed that as a conservative American and as a Catholic, he's very uh, against what people stand for in the United States when they're considered center-right or they're considered very holy or Christian. He gets into the political waters very deeply. And I know you have some experience with that and a little bit of persecution. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and what's gone on with you in the Vatican very briefly? Yes, that some within the church who, for reasons I've mentioned, have not liked our work of bringing abortion front and center, have complained about uh, me and my work over the years. Now, at the same time, I've gotten a lot of support, even from Pope Francis. But recently, uh, uh, some of the complainers convinced Pope Francis to say to me that uh, I couldn't be a priest anymore. And it was a, uh, the, the oddest, strangest thing uh, and most uh, most uh, uh, a disturbing thing for so many people in the pro-life movement. And, um, you know, I've just been arguing that this is such a fundamental issue that I and others who want to do so should be able to devote ourselves full time to defending the unborn from abortion. And by and large, the church has blessed me in that mission. But again, you've got those naysayers and they convinced the Pope to, to say, oh, you can't be you can't be a priest. But nevertheless, I'm continuing to do the full time pro-life work. That's right. And I noticed that every time I run into you, you still have that vigor and that feel of a priest and a shepherd. So I got to salute you on that. that that's got to be a difficult road. But across, you seem to be willing to carry. So I, I always thought that was one of your best features as a priest. Uh, let's talk a little bit about a mutual friend of ours, Dr. Alveda King. Uh, Martin Luther yes. King Day is obviously this month. She is uh, the niece of Dr. Martin Luther King. And she got involved very heavily in pro-life, uh, the mission and, and advocating for uh, pro-life legislation. Tell me how you became friends and how you met. We met in 1999 at a Right to Life conference in New York. We were both on the speaking program. And uh, she heard me quoting her uncle, saying that if we believe in the sacredness of the human person, we will not kill anybody. And I was applying that to the unborn. I heard her also speaking up for the unborn. So we decided back then that we should work together. Now, she herself has had two abortions. And so she joined our Silent No More campaign, which is uh, the, for the voices of those who have had abortions and they speak about the pain it brings and the healing that Jesus brings. And then uh, as time went on, she discerned that she uh, 
should work with us on a full-time basis. So she spent 16 years on our staff full-time uh, speaking wow. for Priest for Life. She's still part of our, our board and, and part of our ministry, uh, but on a part-time basis. But yeah, Alvita and I have, have constantly proclaimed that the pro-life movement is the civil rights movement of today. In fact, we're working on a book together called Abortion in Black and White, and we're going to uh, have that out in time for the 2024 elections uh, and to show people that, hey, listen, there's no fudging on this issue. There's no compromising. There's no negotiating away the right to life. This is the fundamental issue. It's the most basic civil right that anybody has, and we have got to protect these unborn children. Alvita's voice remains strong and clear on this point, and it really is a delight to collaborate with her. She's amazing. I remember one event I covered for uh, you and her recently. You were both on the same stage, and a protester jumped out and started yelling just awful things at both of you, the whole panel, obscenities. And even as she was escorted out by security, uh, Alvita King steps up and tells her, I love you. We love you. And it was just an amazing message to me that this very bitter battle that seems so torn politically, she could bring some semblance of reverence and say, I love you. How does the person that's so charged up about pro-life mimic Alvita and show love to those that are have been captured by the lie, as you called it? Well, to recognize that, uh, you know, they are not our enemy. Those who ridicule us, those who promote abortion, they're not the enemy. They are captive to the enemy. And when we can make that distinction, then we are better able to have compassion on them and to love them without in any way condoning their erroneous ideas, their very harmful ideologies. We, we, we resist that with all our might and we want to defeat those ideologies and the political efforts and legislative efforts that they inspire. But we can still look at the person and say, look, you are my brother, my sister, there but for the grace of God, go I. I could end up being deceived, you know? But, uh, and that's how I think that attitude, that they're not the enemy, they're captive to the enemy. We don't want to uh, eliminate them, we want to liberate them. That's very much Alvita's uh, mindset. That's, uh, she inherited that, of course, from her dad and her uncle and, and, and her whole family. And uh, that's the spirit of the pro-life movement as well. So who inspired you then to become a priest and to take up this mantle of the pro-life mantle? Well, how did that come into play in your life? You know, I um, had not had any direct involvement with abortion, but I did go to that March for Life uh, as a teenager. And when I saw the diversity of the crowd, the prayerfulness, the humility, and yet at the same time, the strength and determination of that crowd, it awakened an interest in me, and I said, this is, a, this is a big movement, this is an important issue. The more I, I read and learned about abortion, the more alarmed I became. It was an alarm going, on, uh, going off in my mind. And at the very same time, I felt a call to ministry. So I went into seminary, I had just rediscovered my faith through reading the scriptures each day. I started going to mass every day before going to school. And uh, this was, um, just a, 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 a passion that grew with the years as they went on till I came to the point after having already been ordained to the priesthood and serving in a parish, I came to the point where I felt I had to give myself full time to, uh, to serving these, um, these unborn children and to, uh, and to ending abortion. 
history is clear that, you know, at various times in, in, in history, there are key moral issues that define those times. At a certain point, it was slavery. At another point, it was segregation. Today, it's abortion. And I really felt the, the call to be right at the forefront of that movement. You talk about how large a battle it is, and I want to discuss that. It used to be that it was rare and that it was safe. That was their line, that it was something that they were going to allow, but that it was going to be a rarity, that it wasn't going to be overused. Why do you think people on the left specifically are pushing so hard to eliminate these pregnancies? Is it resources? Is it population control? What could drive something so evil to be couched so well, like you said, with this propaganda that makes people think, oh, it's just a clump of cells, What's motivating this push? There is a, a hatred for humanity, for Western civilization, uh, for the nuclear family. Uh, we see this a, a coordinated, a systematic attack in so many ways. Uh, we see it in this uh, vicious um, transgender movement trying to indoctrinate our children. And, and we look at this whole thing and we say, Christian values are, are under such severe attack. It starts with abortion. You can't get any more fundamental an attack on humanity or on the family than to justify killing its weakest members. So it started with abortion. It has morphed into all these other uh, battles. You know, I, I often say nowadays we can't say a man is a man or a woman is a woman because for 50 years we've been saying a baby's not a baby. It's the same mistake. It's the same rebellion against the truth. For those who want to rebel against truth, this is this is this is your this is the tip of the spear. Is is justifying abortion? Now that doesn't mean that everybody who has an abortion, and that doesn't even mean that everybody who justifies abortion, is right in the core of this this hatred for you know for values and for religion and for and for Western civilization. Um, that people can latch on to this partially, they can latch on to this uh, conditionally, and that's why we see also so many conversions and so many people leaving uh, this 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 mindset of pro-choice and this this industry of abortion. But at its core, I believe that's what the what the what the uh, the, the, the engine is. And if you go even one step deeper than that, this it's just demonic. I mean, the devil hates God. He knows he can't destroy God, so he does the next best thing in his own mind, which is destroy what's made in the image of God, which is human life. And there's a racial component to it, too. I mean, Margaret Sanger, she had some pretty interesting quotes about eliminating the black community. And have you found that that continues to this day, that there is a racial undertone to Planned Parenthood specifically? Yeah, well, it's undeniable that the history is there. You know, there's a documentary called Ma'afa 21, M-A-A-F-A 21.com. People can see this documentary that was put together by my friend Mark Crutcher, uh, now deceased. But, uh, but Mark, many years ago, saw that this history has to be unveiled. And it has impacted many in the black community. And Alvita has echoed this that, uh, yeah, there's a racist genocidal roots to this whole abortion industry. It remains to this day true that the abortion industry, through its advertising, through its placement of uh, abortion facilities geographically, targets minority communities. It's simply a verifiable fact 
that this is where most of these abortion clinics are. Not because those people don't have family values, they do. I'm talking about our black brothers and sisters, our Hispanic brothers and sisters, they have deep family values, but they are being targeted by the abortion industry. So can you get to this problem through younger people? How do you you know, teach this in school because I went to Catholic school. They never taught us what an abortion was specifically. You never right. saw the horror or the visual, right? So what would your idea be or your plan be if you could introduce it at a younger age to show them how ugly it really is and the damage it can do to a woman's body? We, we have to start with teaching them who the baby is. And uh, I've been involved in the promotion of a new app called See Baby Grow. This is an amazing tool, and it also includes lesson plans about simply not, not even about abortion just yet, but about who the baby in the womb is. And we have a lot of strategies for educating not only students, but the general public about that. For example, we have PSAs that can air and talk about, hey, don't drink while you're pregnant or make sure that you don't take drugs while you're pregnant. You're going to harm your unborn baby. And in talking about that, it doesn't raise the question of abortion, but it shows people video imagery, full color of the baby, like at six weeks after fertilization. Now, these are babies that most people don't even realize that the baby already has thousands of, of, of organs and body parts that, that we have as adults, but they see that baby. And so this inoculates our young uh, uh, students against the lies of Planned Parenthood, which will say that's not a baby at all. That's how you start. And then at age appropriate moments and, 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 and ways, you simply have to introduce uh, uh, in school what an abortion is. And, and that goes to the core of what I think is the problem uh, today, that, that we're not addressing that basic question. What is an abortion? And uh, there are ways uh, just from, you know, for example, we are always promoting the medical diagrams there's no reason why in a in a health science curriculum, uh, when when whenever you start talking about, you know, the fact that medicine does all these different kinds of surgeries and which is one of the most common surgeries in America, why not honestly talk about it and say, hey, look, here's what an abortion is, and and just give you don't even have to give a a moral evaluation, just give a a, a medical description, uh, and. Uh, boy, people are going to, they're not going to be, they're going to be inoculated against uh, the pro-choice ideology when they actually hear a medical description of abortion, uh, the dismemberment and the decapitation that uh, that occur. It's horrifying to look at, especially late stage. I haven't seen it till the last few years, even in my life and writing about it. And it was just horrific. It, it seemed like it couldn't be from God. And yet they try to make it sound like it's just a simple procedure. I want to close uh, by asking you about the Catholic faith, specifically again about the Pope. Are you on a mission to get your collar back? And do you think that we might have a new Pope soon in the Catholic faith? Well, we will eventually have a new Pope, no question about it. And uh, of course, in, in various ways, uh, uh, the Pope has been you know, showing his, his frailty. But the point is that uh, you know, we don't wish anyone any harm, but we do uh, look for a change in the church. A change is needed in um, the direction that the church has been going, because the direction we've very much been going under this pontificate is confusion. And, 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 you know, he can say, oh, well, you know, I'm not I'm not actually changing doctrine or I'm not denying I uphold what the church has always said. I am a son of the church. He, he says these things, but it doesn't take away the fact that millions and millions of people 
are upset and confused at things that have been said and done that go against everything that they've learned as as Catholics. So we we have a faith that's public. No nobody in the church has you know more books of the Bible or chapters of the Catechism than anybody else has. It's a faith that's that's been thrown wide open, and people know the faith. So they expect their leaders in the faith to confirm them and strengthen them in that, not to raise questions about it or it seem to go off in different directions. Very very much needed uh, a renewal uh, within the church. I am uh, part of, of, of that effort to just reaffirm the truth. And in so doing, you know, being that the, the taking away of my collar and priesthood has been part of this strange sequence of events in the church that's just causing so much consternation. Uh, yes, uh, my request at this point, it's not so much a process as simply a request. Uh, my request is to this pope and to the next pope, if, if, it, if it has to wait until then, that yes, my, my, that my situation be looked at again and that the Pope reinstate me because there's no reason why a Catholic priest should not be able to devote himself full time to the defense of the unborn from abortion. That's all I've ever asked. Uh, 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 and again, I've gotten lots of yeses to that from the church and occasionally some no's. <laughs> well, thank you for your bravery, my friend. You're one person that's on my list that I pray for every Sunday, and I'm inspired by you every time you talk, and I'm so glad that we've met and been able to keep our friendship for this many years. And we thank you for coming on and helping spread the word. It's just so great my to have pleasure. you out there. My pleasure. Keep up the good work, and we'll talk again. Sounds good, Father Frank. We'll see you next time. All right, well, that's our show for today. It was a great one. Thank you so much for tuning in and supporting conservative media. And don't ever forget that by staying vigilant and sticking together, we can bring our country back to true greatness. Let us pray that God continues to bless America as we fight on. We'll see you next week. First Right, a new kind of news summary without the liberal slant. Every morning, in your inbox, always free. Subscribe by texting First Right to 30161. That's First Right, all caps, one word, to 30161.